Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by Rhode Island Blood Center, Mother Earth Wellness, Graysdale Brewing, Trinity Brewhouse, Ballet RI, and R1 Indoor Karting. I am your host, John Fusick. Today, we have singer, songwriter, and music legend, Tom Rush. He has had a 60-year career and is out with a brand new recording titled, Gardens Old, Flowers New. Tom Rush will be at the Narrow Center for the Arts on February 24th. Oceana baby's dancing, arms are waving, feet are prancing. To a music only she can hear. She goes, follows where her music flows, a laughing, shining bubble in the air. An ocean of babies eating, at her feet a dog is waiting, hoping for a treat or maybe two. Spaghetti, jello, Cheerios, tomato soup, and ice cream cone. The room's a different place when she is through. Sienna, where's your nose? Where's your fingers? Where's your toes? And how the time it goes and flows away. No Sienna, precious moments. Oh, how soon you'll be a woman. Today's so long ago and far away. Sienna's playing in the garden. She loves to watch the sky for airplanes. She laughs and claps and waves. And cries bye-bye This garden's old, the flower's new A flash of sunlight in the dew the light so bright can bring tears to your eyes An Oceana baby's bathing Ducks and turtles, frogs are swimming Laughing, splashing bubbles all around An Oceana baby's reading Pooh and Tigger, Bert and Ernie It's better when the book is upside down And Oceana, where's your nose? Where's your fingers? Where's your toes? Now the time it goes and flows away And Oceana, precious moments Oh, how soon you'll be a woman Today's so long ago and far away Oceana baby's sleeping Now I wonder what she's dreaming Dogs and ducks and planes And ice cream cones And in her sleep the baby's dancing And I can almost hear her music The whole world spinning Twirling round and round Tomorrow's coming on an airplane And we will meet it in the morning And we shall see what presents it might bring And we shall see what we shall see And it will be what it will be And until then, my darling Dance and dream And Oceana, where's your nose? Where's your fingers? Where's your toes? And how the time It goes and flows away And Oceana, precious moments Oh, how soon you'll be a woman Today's so long ago And far away
far away and long ago and so the story's often told it always starts with once upon a time and I'll pray it ends with ever after lots of music love and laughter a laughing shining baby by your side and oh Sienna where's your nose where's your fingers where's your toes and how the time goes and flows away Hello John Yes it's Tom Rush calling How are you Excuse me my voice just cracked <laughs> Oh no can't have that Are you up in Massachusetts I'm up in Maine Oh you're up in Maine you but you live in Massachusetts now right No I live in I live in Maine Oh I'm as far south as you can go without getting wet <laughs> I'm right on the Piscataqua River that divides Maine and New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that area. Um, I've been there. I go across that bridge sometimes. Yep, I'm looking at it now. Oh, wow. I'm sure you don't remember this, because I barely remember it, because it was so long ago. But we did a show together in Maine about 30 years ago. And... Oh, no. That must have been that must have been my dad. <laughs> Well, I hate to say this, but your career is as old as me. <laughs> you you started your career the year I was born, 1961. Oh my goodness. So my your career is my age, which <laughs> well. <laughs> but yeah, we I don't remember the venue we played though. I, I, it was so long ago. I don't even remember what venue was in Maine around that time. Boy, I I couldn't help you there, I'm afraid. Yeah, I remember. I mean, we hung out. It was weird because backstage was like some storage room and we were hanging out in some storage room and I remember because uh, my partner and I, we were in a duo and we both did graphic design and I think you had a son who was going to college and studying graphic design at the time and I remember talking yeah. about that. Yep, yeah. And that's about all I remember of the whole night. <laughs> and that's how long ago it is. My memory's going. You're doing better than I am because I remember nothing. Yeah, no, I I can understand it. Trust me. I mean, I'm, you know, these days I'm like, what did I do 5 minutes ago? I don't yeah. remember. It's Yep, I'm getting I'm getting there too. It's So I I was watching some videos of you and all of a sudden I had this this vision. I was like you're like the the Mark Twain of today. You look you look like Mark Twain, and you're just you're storytelling with your music instead of you know uh, books. But it's just you look with the mustache and the white hair and the white suit. It's just you just have this Mark Twain appearance to you. Well, yeah, when I do the white suit, it definitely invites that comparison. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Mr. Twain, Mr. Clemens. <clears throat> yes, me too. I, I I like his. I like a lot of his quotes that I've. I, every time I see a Mark Twain quote, I'm like, "Yep, I'm right there with you." <laughs> but he he clearly put a put a lot of effort into looking like me. <laughs> now you you've got that iconic mustache. You're like Tom Selleck with that mustache, and it's just you know your early days. You didn't have it. What did made you decide to grow a mustache and stick with it for your whole life? I know this is a stupid you know, question, but <laughs> I just well, gotta know. I've got a stupid answer. Uh, my my first albums all looked like different people, and the the album covers you mm -hmm. know, all looked like different people. And I thought, well, maybe if I had a mustache, it would kind of tie things together from well, from album to album. So that's that's basically why I grew a mustache. Makes perfect sense. I mean, I grew a I grew a beard when I was sixteen years old, and I still have it. So well, there you go. It's it's, it's gray now, but. <laughs> 
Yeah, that happens. That happens. Yeah, it's it's fun stuff. You are credited with ushering in the singer-songwriter era. How do you feel about that? I was never indicted. I mean, you've got you've got Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown and James Taylor all sing your praises because you basically introduced them to the world with their mu- you recorded their music. Garth Brooks also credits me as an influence, although I've never recorded any of his stuff. Really, I, uh, I, I well, I don't know a lot about Garth Brooks. That's probably why. I mean, I you know he's a he's a obscure country singer. <laughs> Look him up. Now, one of the things I I learned about you is that you're. Well, the Rush family, now you're adopted, and it, it, I didn't know that about you, and the Rush family has a lot of rich, you know, colonial history in it. You you have signers of the Declaration of Independence, you have, you, you tell stories about, you know, the doctor that gave Lewis and Clark medicine and such. Now, that's a, that's a <laughs> yeah. very cool, you know, history to have on that side, but being adopted, do you wonder how your life would have turned out had you had it stayed with your parents? I mean, do you think you oh, would yeah. have gone with a musical career and such? I really don't know. I know that I, I've connected with my both sides of my genetic family, my father and mother, who never never did get married. On my mother's side, my grandfather was a musician. He oh, really? A, he had a band. and. Uh, I have a picture of Stubbs Varney, which was his name, at the piano, surrounded by his other players. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would have gotten tangled up in music. I don't. I really don't know. Well, it's it's kind of funny because you you know I I think about things like that the, the you know the genetic inclination or the you know the innate things in in that are passed down through you know your your actual physical lineage and. You know, I I got this story when I was in college. I went to school with this girl, and we didn't find out we were related. And I mean, we never dated, so we don't have to worry about that. But <laughs> we found out we were related. We had the same great grandmother who was an artist. I went, I took art. I was in an art college, and we were in the same art program together. But we never knew we were related. So I always think about things like that. Is how, you know, it, you, you know, your your biological history may dictate. It what you become as well I, I have to digress here for a moment there's a song and i can't remember whose song it is first verse is first love first kiss first taste of love and you were my first cousin <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad that that didn't happen <laughs> close call though Could have been a- well she ended up marrying uh, a friend of mine now you were you you did a lot at Club Forty Seven back in the day, and that later turned to Passim, and I'm, you you played at Passim as well, right? Wait, pause. We, we got to hit pause here. Okay. Passim is not related. No matter what they tell you, is not related to Club Forty Seven. Really, I always thought that Club Forty Seven became Passim. Yeah, a lot of people think that, and they they've kind of sponsored that perception but what actually happened was club 47 closed they, they started out on at 47 not auburn street and then they lost their lease there they moved up to palmer street mm-hmm. between, behind the harvard coop right and it's a very short street right they had the building renumbered 47 so the numbers the numbers on passim on uh, palmer street go one two three 47 <laughs> but the uh the club closed and i can't tell you the exact year i'd have to look it up but it was then the building was vacant that basement was vacant for a couple of years it was a dukakis headquarters campaign headquarters for a few months and after a couple of years being dark bob and rayanne donlin showed up 
and open the club Passim, which was sponsoring the same kind of music. But they would get pissed off if people came down the steps and said, is this the Club 47? They'd say, no, this is a Passim. Get out of here. Hmm. You see, I, I never knew that because I was always led to believe that Club 47 was the same thing. Now, I mean, I remember Bob and Ray M because we played at Passim quite a few times back in the 90s. And, uh, you know, Bob and Ray M were quite characters. I, I like them. They were... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were. They, the, they're the ones. The, the other side. The other side to it is that I own the name Club Forty Seven. Do you really? I do because I was doing a show at Symphony Hall. Been doing them every between Christmas and New Year's every year for a few years, and I decided I would do three nights of a Club Forty Seven reunion. And Baez came, and Richie Havens came, all kinds of people, including a lot of a lot of the old musicians from the Club 47 who never never went professional, never wanted to go professional. Anyway, uh, my lawyer said, do you have the right to use the name? And I said, I wouldn't know who to ask because it had been closed for quite a while. He said, well, I would, uh, I'm going to investigate. And he get, got back to me. He said, the name is unencumbered. And if I were you, I would encumber it. <laughs> so somebody doesn't come bite you in the ass. So I own, I now own that name, Club 47, and I do shows under that name. Well, it makes sense in this day and age of litigation, so... Yeah, so anyway, Passim, I love Passim. I'm not I'm not uh, bad-mouthing them. But. Oh, no, no, I'm glad that you corrected me on that, because that's, that. like I said, that's something I always knew and always assumed, because that's what always what I was told. So I knew, I, I think I've even read it in print somewhere, too. So, I mean, it's well, yeah, just... No, if you if you go on, you know, and, and Google it, you'll find you'll get the wrong information. Right, well, that's not unusual. I, I'm always yeah. getting wrong information from people. <laughs> Anyway, I, dig I digress. That's okay. I read, you know, I saw a lot of people that your early inspirations, Pete Seeger being one of them, but you, and, and you started out playing piano, but you didn't really stick with it, and you played the ukulele a bit, and you now you, you primarily just play guitar, right? Correct. Yeah, it's just I've several different guitars, but yeah, I no longer play keyboards or ukulele or any any other instrument. Yeah, I've already forgot. I learned how to play ukulele. I wrote a song with a ukulele. I learned to play ukulele in the back of a van on a way to a gig and learned to play it, played the show, and have since forgotten how to play it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have... I, and one of the, I've noticed the three guitars you use. You use a, an old Epiphone, a Guild 12-string, and I don't know what the brand, the model is that you have that has the woman and the snake on it. What? Who made that one? Well, that originally... There's a bit of a backstory. Um... I bought an Epiphone Texan in Harvard Square for $159 with case, brand new. And I figured, okay, it'll be a good beach guitar. If somebody steps on it, it won't, you know, be the end of the world. But then I kind of fell in love with it. And what year thought, is it? What year was that? What year is the guitar itself? I'm trying to think now. It was I was still at Harvard, so it was probably around '63. Because I remember Bill Morrissey did a couple of gigs with Bill Morrissey, and he showed us this guitar he found, and he had this Epiphone that he went to some music store, and they found it in the storeroom. It had been forgotten about, and it was brand new. And he managed to get himself one of those old Epiphones too, and those were nice guitars. Yeah, they were. They were. Uh, meanwhile, though. Epiphone was acquired by the Japanese and they were making crappy guitars. Right, so right. I decided I didn't want to go around advertising Epiphones, so I had some inlay done, a naked lady entwined with a snake, a biblical theme, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I cut the Epiphone top of the headstock off and had the word mother engraved there. Hmm. And people ask me, what kind of guitar is it? I could say it's a mother. <laughs> <laughs> kind of childish, but... <laughs> So was I. Well, it's fun. That, 
that guitar became kind of famous in her own right because the roadie would yell to the stagehand, Tom wants the naked lady in the dressing room now. It's pretty. <laughs> and heads would turn, but she burned up in a house fire. Oh, I heard about that. That's, you know, that sucks. And I was naked ladyless for quite a while. I was, I had a conversation going with Martin about making a Tom Rush guitar. <laughs> we talked about the wood and the neck and the blah, blah. And I finally got around to, could we have a naked lady with a snake on the neck? And basically the line went dead. Really? <laughs> he said, we're not snobs, but we have a lot of very conservative guitar players in the deep south. They might get offended. And, but then a few years go by, and this company in uh, in Montreal, McKenzie and Marr, contacted me about making the Tom Rush guitar, and they said, sure, Naked Lady, no problem. So they made, I think, 350 copies, all of which they sold. Hmm. So that's where the, my current Naked Lady comes from, McKenzie and Marr. Who put the act? Did you actually do the inlay of the original? I did not do it. I had a young woman do it. Hang on. I'm going to give you her name, but I have to look it up because I can't remember anything. <laughs> did I mention I can't remember anything? Uh, that's fine. I'm, I have pages of notes here. That's the only way I remember things is writing. I mean, we I played a show last night and my friend was laughing at me because I have a little note taped to my dashboard that says, get the truck washed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I don't do that, I don't remember. Chris Hayward. Oh, okay. A young lady named Chris Hayward did the inlay for me. Now, did the new design was based off was it based off a photograph of the old design, or was it a totally new design? The new, no, the new design for Mackenzie and Marr was based off of the old design. Uh, the old design was based off actually Chris Hayward had done another naked lady for a. a guitar store that she was working at the owner wanted the naked lady so she did one my naked lady has a snake so it was a different different design but it was a basically an adaptation mm -hmm. of one that he'd done earlier one of the things I, I i learned about you is one of your first gigs was at the Con concord state hospital that and your mother got you the gig <laughs> and you described your band and it was pretty funny but that must have been a very i'll just stick with the word interesting experience <laughs> yep it was it was definitely definitely a curious one it turned out well there were all kinds of dimensions and you probably i don't know where you got the story but you might have read about how strange it was at the at the hospital because they'd given up on uniforms they thought the uniforms were degrading to the patients so everybody just wore <laughs> And you could not tell when you were talking to somebody they were a patient, a doctor, an orderly, <laughs> a janitor. So you'd, you'd kind of examine everybody closely and try to figure out if they were nuts or not. Thing is, you'd then go back out on the street, and you'd, the habit would stick with you. And you'd be looking at people trying to figure out if they were crazy. <laughs> well, that basically people, describes people, everybody in the world. <laughs> Exactly. The people on the outside were a lot weirder than the people on the inside. Anyway, it, it turned out that all the musicians were in the forensics wing, the criminally insane. And <laughs> and you were 16 and they, they allowed you to go do this? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they did. That's... It, tell you how they, times have changed, huh? Well, or they were desperate. <laughs> uh, you never know. But we had an axe murderer on lead guitar and a arsonist on bass, I think. No, drum drums was the arsonist and the bass player nobody knew what he did because he never spoke <laughs> and seldom played the same song as the rest of us <laughs> i remember we we played and played and played and our big our big shot our shot at the big time was playing at a mixer a mixer 
a mixer at the hospital. It was outdoors, and it was the saddest and the funniest thing I think I've ever experienced because it was all the patients getting dressed up as best they could in whatever the best clothes they had were and lurch, kind of lurching around trying to dance to the uh, to the music. And it was, it, it, you can imagine, it was, it was very sad but also very funny. And then somebody halfway through the set came up and said, don't play St. James Infirmary. <laughs> and, and I said, why? And they said, that building behind you that's the crematorium oh geez wow so you you uh in your club 47 shows at, at symphony hall you've you've brought in some new people um over the years do you still do those shows i haven't done one for a while um but I'm still doing, we should get around to actually talking about the new album and... Oh, you do have a new album. That's cool. Talk, oh, you didn't know that? No, I didn't know you had a new album. I, I counted 19 albums and I didn't notice it was a new album in there. I'm going to fire my publicist. Oh, well, he might have, you know what? He might have sent me the information and I get so many emails that may have gotten buried in the emails and I just go off on my own and do research because uh, sometimes the press people send me stuff and you know I'm, I'm one of these people who makes notes and stuff and I like to go down different avenues and stuff so it, it might be my fault don't don't get mad at John <laughs> okay it's probably my fault knowing this it's probably my fault and it usually we'll, is we'll blame it on you everything is usually my fault so it's <laughs> it's oh, just no. the way the world works <laughs> that's my title <laughs> so yeah okay. you do have a new album that's that's great and 80, well, you're 82 right I'm a week away from 83 but um yeah, the, the album is not out yet. It comes out on March 1st, but I have advanced copies, which I'm selling at TomRush.com, and it shows. You're like Ringo Starr. Ringo's got an album out. He's out, you know, him and you and him. It's good well, that people, you're, you're still putting out music. Well, the album is called Gardens Old, Flowers New. Hmm. Gardens Old, comma, Flowers New, which is a line that appears in two of the songs on the album. I wrote all the songs, but my producer, who's also my accompanist, pointed out that he didn't, he didn't say you're old <laughs> you're, you're no spring chicken but you're you're writing some great songs and so i'm the old garden and the new songs are the flowers that are new that's a great great line and i think it's my best my best work so far i yeah. honestly do and i also think my shows are better than ever well, I'm sure because I mean I noticed that a lot of I mean not a the thing about when you become a certain age is that you've got the body of work to fall back on and you know if you're still writing you're writing new material so you've got a ton of work to choose from but you've also got stories and stories make the performance something that is special especially when it comes to music these days because the stories not something you can get elsewhere other than live. I mean, you have to sit in the audience and hear the stories, and those are just as entertaining as the songs most of the time. I actually get requests for the stories. <laughs> those my now, but, have you yeah. decided to write, thought about writing a book, or have you? And I missed that. No, I'm, I'm actually, I've got now four books that I'm trying to get around to writing. <laughs> Not making much progress on any of But a thing that I, maybe here's your, your title for the piece, but, um, I came to the realization, I used to, I started out doing stories because I realized that the audience liked the story, they were much more apt to like the song you were about to do. Right, I believe it. It was a way of connecting with them. 
And I just came up recently talking with some of my guests on uh, my online series called Rockport Sundays, which we will also discuss briefly, that the audience doesn't want perfection. They want connection. Hmm. That's a good... Uh, I like that. That's that's actually... That's a perfect explanation or a perfect description of what a, sh- a show should be. It's a good, good news for me because perfection has always been... A, a million miles out of reach for me but i've gotten i think better at the connection part so that's why i think my shows are better now than they've ever been well that makes you that brings you more into the mark twain aspect yeah of- you're right we're back to mark twain now but- one, one line that you said that you that i liked about you is that you said something about people having to wait outside to get into a show and you felt that you said that if they waited outside to get into a show they're going to appreciate that show much more be a better audience yeah yeah because they they've it's something they waited for and you know especially if it's snowing right right <laughs> now you want to tell me about the rockport sundays sure i thought you'd never ask <laughs> it was on my list <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning of 2020 i actually i was an early adapter and got covid oh geez in march of 2020 before anybody knew much about anything but i got over that well you're groundbreaking you're a groundbreaking performer so why not start there too i know i know leading the pack (laughs) as always all my shows have been canceled i I actually had a 2020 t-shirt made up called the first annual farewell tour (laughs) with all my gigs listed on the back and then the pandemic hit and i had to come up with a revision shirt the pandemic edition with 65 shows crossed off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was actually a big seller. I'm sure it was. And I'm now thinking of actually calling calling 2024 my 63rd annual farewell tour. <laughs> you know, there's bands out there that have been doing it for decades. Well, you know what? I saw The Who in 1980 as a farewell tour, so go figure. Yeah, yeah. If it works for them, why not me? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, it's just, the, at this point, farewell tours are a marketing ploy, I think. And, you know, no. I, I mean, I talk to people all the time. I'm always doing these interviews, and I ask them how much longer they're going to do it. And they're always like, well, I don't know. I'll, even if I retire, I'll come back and I'll play some shows anyway, because I like to perform, you know? Well, I'm, I'm in that boat, yeah, for sure. I really love playing for people, so why would I quit? Well, really, if you can physically still do it, you enjoy it, and it's not detrimental to anything you do, why not? I mean, I was talking, my friend Ed that I was playing with last night, he's 75 years old. You know, we've been playing off and on for 25 years. And, you know, he said the same thing. He says, you know, as long as I can play, I'm going to play. Why not? Why not? If you enjoy it and it's what, if it's who you are, I mean, a lot of us as musicians, music is who we are. That's true. The, The sad part for me is, when somebody can't do it right anymore yeah but they I, need they need the money yeah i've seen and plenty I, of those too <laughs> well i i would hope that i'd be in a position to quit if that if i got to that point but right now i think i'm singing better i, I pitch things down a note or two but i'm singing better playing better and i'm I think I'm engaging the audience better. Well, from what I've seen, you are. I mean, you still put on a great show, and you're out there playing your ass off all the time. You're out there. Pl- I mean, you're constantly touring. I mean, my somebody at my booking agents told me that I play more than any of their other artists. <laughs> anyway, back to Rockport Sundays. <laughs> so, 
So I'm living in Rockport, Massachusetts, and all my gigs have been canceled because of COVID. And I'm trying to figure out, well, I love playing for people, so how am I going to do it? And how can I you know, connect with an audience? And I decided I would try doing an online series. I back Way back in the day, I had an instrumental called Rockport Sunday. And a friend of mine suggested that I post these episodes on Sunday morning and call it Rockport Sundays plural and seemed like a good idea and so i started out i did some research i learned that if you post an hour-long show you've lost half your audience at 15 minutes 90 percent 30 minutes and you know almost everybody before the hour's gone so i said well let's make them short i'll do 15 minute episodes more or less and some of them are just me most of them i have a guest i've had jonathan edwards and tom paxton and on and on and on as guests and also in keeping with my history some some brand new artists that you've never heard of who are really good and we post them on sunday morning and they stay up for eight weeks you can watch them whenever you want but they stay up for eight weeks and at timerush.com you can learn all about it Hmm. and at timerush.com you can also get the new cd and the new lp just arrived oh yeah vinyl too that's the 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 trendy thing 500 pounds of vinyl (laughs) Oh, on Monday. Uh, um, that's going to be fun for storage. I hope you have a big place to keep them. <laughs> well, I have I have some youngsters in the house who are good at lugging it all downstairs, but the FedEx guy left them on a wet porch. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and nobody was awake yet. I had to load them into the house by oh. myself. I'm I'm really really happy with this with this new project, and I'm going to keep doing Rockport Sundays even though the pandemic is long gone now. We just celebrated three years of Rockport Sundays. Now, where do you record them? At your house? I record them. There's a studio up over the garage. In fact, it was there was an apartment that I lived in when I first moved here. Um, but not right now. It's the uh, it's the video studio. These, these aren't podcasts. They're, they're video, number one. And number two, it's a subscription series. You're kind of like uh, Daryl Hall with Daryl's House. Maybe so. I haven't actually watched Daryl's House stuff. <laughs> Is that a subscription? Yeah. No, it's um, it's you can usually find him on YouTube, and he has he has I don't know if you know anything about it. He has like two of these huge, these colonial houses that he joined together. They're, they're these big houses. I mean, I think it's up in New York, and he has this post and beam room where he has a studio, and he invites all these people in to do stuff, and he has a band player, and it's okay. it's interesting. I played Daryl's house just after he acquired it, uh, and I forget what it used to be called, but it was a place that I played on a regular basis, uh, and then it turned into Daryl's house, and I played there once, and I haven't been back. Hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, this is a subscription series. You sign up. Um, I've got about a little over a thousand subscribers. It's been a lot of fun for me, although I, you know it takes some adjusting. I'm used to playing for a live audience. When you tell a joke to a video camera, it doesn't laugh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've done that before. Cable. I've recorded cable shows, and you just kind of like staring blandly into the, the the abyss. Yeah, you have to pretend they're there. And you laugh at your own jokes. <laughs> I was thinking actually of putting a laugh track on just for the fun of it. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> I read somewhere that the same laugh track has been going since the 50s. They've used the same laugh track in a lot of shows. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I know that it was, I don't know if it was played on a keyboard, but they have all kinds of different laughs. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm sure that these days it's sampled. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the, if you want just one person snickering, you got 
that option or if you want everybody guffawing their heads off you've got that and everything in between so because you, you don't want the same laugh every time oh no you know, and to sound like a live audience it would have to change now this is another thing um, I'm digressing again. That's okay. Digress away. It's fun to digress. I've been puzzled for years about how different audiences are from show to show. I used to play places. I'd do a two-week gig. For instance, there was a place called The Chessmate in Detroit, which is where I met Joni Mitchell. Um, But I would play for two weeks there, and every night the audience was different. Same demographic, same room, same sound, largely the same show, same weather, totally different audiences every night. Why is that? I don't know. I've 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 found that too. I mean, I play a lot of the same places when I'm out playing music, and you know, some nights there would be great, and some nights there it'll be like, eh, what was that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's got it. We were also looking for a, a house to rent in Maine, and we were told that we were up around looking around the Portland area, and we were told that this suburb is really friendly, but the suburb right next door they're really snobby. <laughs> <laughs> Why? is that you know two two communities cheek by jowl have different overall personalities uh, it's 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 what makes people tick is is probably the the question of the ages trying to figure out humans i think it's i think people want to fit in so if there's I've, i have noticed that if there's a few people in an audience that are laugh loudly it's kind of like a laugh track everybody you, you hear somebody laughing you laugh Mm. And they kind of lead the pack, which is why Shakespeare had shills in the audience. He'd pay people to go and clap and laugh and kind of lead the pack. Yeah, I, I believe it. I mean, it only takes, you know, when you play, I mean, the, the places I play, I don't play places like you do. I play, these days I play wherever, but sometimes, you know, it's just when I'm playing to people who are dining and they're just like, I'm just music in the background. And occasionally you get an applause and, you know, you get somebody who yeah. claps and then, oh yeah, there's music playing, everybody claps. But then the next song, everybody's back to dining and they're like, oh, yeah, music's playing, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try to avoid those places. I have a song called If I Never Get Back to Hackensack, It'll Be All Right With Me. And it's actually, I have nothing against Hackensack, but way back at the dawn of time, I played a bar in Hackensack. And it's where I learned that I should not play places where I have to ask them to turn off the mechanical bull. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely... Uh, when, I mean, I remember when we were doing a lot of the, the, you know, the coffee house circuit in the 90s was, was a really big one. And I mean, it was the resurgence of folk. And the big thing was, you know, trying to time your songs for the espresso machine. You know, you, you right. that Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite places was a place called the Main Point in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, just outside Philly. And it was a great, great place. But right across the street was the firehouse. <laughs> and... <laughs> Inevitably, in the middle of a heart-wrenching, quiet song, the sirens would go off in the wrong key. <laughs> I ran a music series that was in a park that was right across from a fire station, and the same thing would happen. It was just, you know, there'd be somebody singing this beautiful song on the stage, and all of a sudden the fire trucks would gear up, and, it, and because they had to go around the block before they actually got to where they were go to start to go where they were going, it wasn't even yeah. a fast thing. It was like you got this whole... You know, dramatic full minute or two of, of sirens. <laughs> 360 degrees. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting.
Anyway, you have a, a performer that plays keyboard with you often, Matt Nakoa. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yep, it okay. is. I, I know the name. I've never met him. I've I've I don't know a lot about him. Is he going to play with you? Yes, he will. Now he what plays on most of my shows, but his his own career is taking off. Um, so now does he accompany you or open for you? He accompanies me and will do a few songs on his own during the show. I think that's better for him than making him an opening act, which is separate. Mm -hmm. Having him part of the show positions him better. But he steals the show and I pay him to do it. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, but he is. He is. A, if this was, if this was thirty years ago, John, he'd be playing stadiums. It's just, it's gotten so hard to get your foot in the door anymore. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy. Like it's just. I mean, you get people who put a few YouTube videos up and they get signed to record deals, but then you got somebody who's been out there for decades, busting their ass, working the audiences, and they're still laboring in obscurity. Yeah, yeah, that that. It's it's kind of weird. There's a guy in Canada, Murray McLaughlin, who is a friend of mine, who was playing stadiums back in the day in in Canada. But he'd come down to Passim and have half a house. Mm. So it, he gave up coming to the states. Yeah, I mean it's 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 sad. I don't know why people don't get legs when they come to this country. It's just well, it worked the other way around for Jimi Hendrix. Right, right. I mean, he went to England and and got it. Became a big deal in England and then became a big deal here. Right. Well, Led Zeppelin, anyway. the opposite. Led Zeppelin came to the United States and were bigger in the United States than they were in their own home home country. Yeah. So who knows? I mean... It's curious the way these things work. It is. It really, really, really is strange. I don't know. So... I don't know. I'm, I, I don't want to keep you on the phone much longer. I've, I could talk to you for forever, I'm sure, because, I mean, we just go down Digression Boulevard, and both of us <laughs> both of us would do it. I've never been good attention span. Yeah, I mean, it's what makes conversations interesting. I'm, I've always kind of been focused on now and what comes next, and not so much on what's gone by, so I'm prone to forget stuff. I'll make up stuff. All right, okay. that works, too. On this new album, the cover artist, people are loving the cover art. Who did Matt, it? You know, I can't remember the name of the guy, but Matt found him. And Matt Matt was the producer on this album. He oh. not only is a fabulous piano player, songwriter, singer, guitar player, and slide trombone player. <laughs> That's an odd one. It's a, it's a very odd one. We were playing this place in Richmond, Virginia, and right next door there was a music store. And we went in the music store, and there's this trombone on the wall. And Matt says, wow, that's the trombone I played in high school. I got really good at it. Now, this guy knows what really good means, if anybody in the world does. So he goes up to the counter, and he asks about it. And the guy tells him the price, and he shakes his head and says, no, nah, never mind. But then it turns out that the woman that owned the venue we were playing at used to own the music store. And she said, I can get you that trombone half price. So I bought it for him for Christmas two years ago. Oh, nice. It was so funny. You know, he was taking it out of the package, and he was just blown away. He said, oh, this is great. I, of course, I don't remember how to play it and started playing <laughs> Has he brought it on stage yet? Not on stage, but he plays it on the album. There's a song called Nothing But a Man, and I'm singing, if I was a guitar, I'd play just for you. I was a bass drum, i go boom, boom, boom. I was a slide trombone, you could play me all night long and the enter the slide trombone. But he turns out to be a brilliant record producer as well, because he talked me into making this album. He got sick of me talking about maybe someday we'll do an album. <laughs> I booked a studio, brilliant players, and next thing i know we're making an album well I, i'm glad you've made a new album and i'm sure there are a lot of people that are going to be happy that you made a new album 
And uh, you're going to be playing at the Narrow Center for the Arts, uh, February 24th, I believe is the date. It is the 24th, a Saturday. And uh, you you play there quite a bit. I, that's that's got to be one of my favorite venues to play. I've played there many, many times over the years. and I love it. I love it's it. a great audience. I talk about a great audience, and that, that's an audience that is always good. That's, that's one thing consistent yep. about the Narrows is that... No matter who is there, there's always a great audience. Patrick does a great job over there, and the staff there is amazing. And it- I'm also, if you don't have it on the list, I'm in um, Portsmouth, New Hampshire on April 13th. Where is that? What venue? Uh, it's the Portsmouth Music Hall, and I'm uh, sharing the stage with Dara Williams. Oh, okay, cool. I haven't seen her in a long time, but uh, she's great. Yeah, I remember when she was starting out. I'm sure you do, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah, a lot of these people. It's funny how we go back, and there's a lot of people I was playing open mics with, and did shows with over the years. And I, one of the things I noticed in your in the time and talk about you, you know, you, you, I wanted to bring it up while we were talking about retirement, but we didn't. We kind of went off on a different thing again. But you actually did kind of retire at one point, but it didn't stick. Right. I quit showbiz. You were going to be a uh, farmer. I was going to be a farmer. I came away with an enduring respect for farmers. <laughs> It's hard work, and it takes a lot of expertise that I don't have. Yeah, it's, and the music always comes back. I mean, I quit. I quit music for for uh, at the end of the '90s. I quit music for a few years. I didn't even pick up a guitar for years. I don't know. I was talking with with Paxton about retirement, and he he said, "What am I going to do? Sit around and play the guitar all day?" <laughs> It's true. Might as well get paid for it. Right. I mean, I quit because I got frustrated. I was, you know, I was frustrated with the whole music business, the scene, the politics. I just walked away from it because I was just frustrated. And then I just, you know, I, I, I put down my guitar. I didn't even want to look at it. I didn't play. I, eventually, it just got to me, and I couldn't, couldn't not do it. You know? Yeah. It kind of. Well, that's it, a good reason to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's who we are, really. I, I really think it's who I am because it's what keeps me sane and what keeps me going. I mean, I keep my hands on all kinds of music stuff. I mean, I run a folk festival, going into the tenth year of my folk festival. So, maybe where's your folk? It's it's uh, in East Providence, Rhode Island. It's called the Rhode Island Folk Festival, and this is this will be our tenth year. Why haven't you hired me yet? Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about that in the future. I, you know, we're just starting to look into uh, the dates and such, so maybe we will. I'll have to look into I would, it. I would I would love to if we can if we can make it work. I would love to do that. I'm playing for largely an audience. At the beginning of every show, I said, "Say, how many of you guys uh, have never been to this venue before?" And some people will raise their hands. And, how many of you have never been to one of my shows before? A few more will raise their hands. How many of you have no idea what you're doing here? <laughs> we get really good crowds, and people get turned on to people. Precisely why I would like to be playing more festivals. Right. To play specifically to play for people who don't know me. Right, and that's what the beauty of festivals is, because yeah. I, I get after the festival, I get people requesting information about an artist they've seen, so that's the whole reason. What's it called? The Rhode Island Folk Festival. It's on August, the last Sunday in August. Okay. All right, hopefully uh, we can squeeze a couple of your new songs up. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. Anything you want to add about the Narrow Show before we, we take off? Matt and Nicole will be there. I'll be introducing, it'll be a kind of a, a record release party, actually, because the album won't be out yet but i will have i will have copies at the show all right well february 24th at the narrows well it's been a pleasure thank you very much thank you sir i was a king bee i gave you all my honey i was a john d i gave you all my money i was a preacher man 
I'd laid a good book down But I ain't nothing but a man To love you, honey Nothing but a man now Nothing but a man Nothing but a man To love you, honey Nothing but a man I was a jet plane I'd ride you through the sky I was a night train I'd ride you through the night I was a steamroller Child, I would roll you over But I ain't nothing but a man To love you, honey Nothing but a man now Nothing but a man Nothing but a man To love you, honey Nothing but a man I was a guitar I'd play just for you I was a bass drum I'd go boom, boom I was a slide trombone, you could play me all night long. But I ain't nothing but a man to love you, honey. Nothing but a man now, nothing but a man. Nothing but a man to love you, honey. Nothing but a man. Just a man, I'm doing the best I can. Working night and working day, trying to steal your heart away. Working day and working night, I'm working till I get it right. So many things I'd like to be to show you what you mean to me. I was a shotgun, and I would shoot my shot. I was a rocket, we'd rock it up a lot. Could be anything. I'm gonna be just what I am. That's a nothing but a man to love you, honey. Nothing but a man. Nothing but a man. Nothing but a man to love you, honey. Nothing but a man. Nothing but a man. Nothing but a man to love you, honey. Nothing but a man. Nothing but a man. Okie thanks to Tom Rush for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. Tom will be at the Narrow Center for the Arts on February 24th. Have no regrets. Just get to narrowcenter.org for more about the show. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by Rhode Island Blood Center, Mother Earth Wellness, Graysale Brewing, Trinity Brewhouse, Ballet RI, and Our Ward Indoor Carding. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.